You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Election College episode number 267. Alice Roosevelt and Edith Roosevelt. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Jason, we have made it kind of a habit or maybe not a habit, but uh, a practice to cover the presidents. And then after we cover the presidents and do a couple episode, or in this last case with Theodore Roosevelt, three episodes, we go ahead and cover their wife and their vice presidents as well. And then the other people that are kind of surrounding them and important. But this time with Theodore Roosevelt, we have two wives because he had uh, his first wife, who never was the first lady, which is kind of the, the point that we're trying to do. And then, well, we'll get to what happens, but another wife, uh, Edith, later on, and she was the first lady. So uh, it'll be kind of a two-parter in one episode because they're both very interesting people. But, you know, maybe we don't have a whole ton to talk about with Alice. Yeah, poor Alice. Um, although during her life, it wasn't poor Alice because it seemed like sunshine, as she was known uh, just had a presence about her. Uh, she was born in Chestnut Hill, Massachusetts in July of 1861. Her parents, wealthy people, her dad, George Cabot Lee, uh, was a banker, and her mother was Caroline Haskell. Uh, she's 5'6 and is striking in appearance, according to those who knew her. Definitely. I mean, they even called her Sunshine. Uh, as a nickname when she was younger. So, you know, if your name is Sunshine, that's either uh, true, you're actually a really bright and shiny person, or it's sarcastic. And uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, sometimes people are like, oh, what, what, what's the uh, the look on your face for there, Sunshine? And really, they mean, why, why you look so uh, down? But seems like she was authentically happy. Yeah, so they meet in October of 1878, at one of her relatives' house. Um, they were called the Stalton Stalls. How do you like that for a last name? Stalton Stalls. Uh, if there's any Stalton Stalls listening, hey, that's a really cool last name you have. Uh, but uh, her cousin, Richard Stalton Stall, was a classmate of Theodore. And Theodore said, quote, as long as I live, I shall never forget how sweetly she looked and how prettily she greeted me. Can't you just see our buddy TR talking like that? Yeah. It's pretty cute. Yeah. yeah. So they meet and he sends over a uh, proposal in June of 1879. And she says, hang on a bit because I need to think about this. 
yeah, so it's nine or eight months before she actually accepts his engagement uh, there on February 14th, 1880. And that date will come back around here in a minute. And uh, the, she was 18 years old. She marries Theodore on October 27th, 1880, which is Theodore Roosevelt's 22nd birthday. And they don't really get a proper honeymoon. We talked about that a little bit in the Roosevelt episode. Uh, because Theodore gets into law school, Columbia Law School, in fact. And they spend the first two weeks of their marriage in Oyster Bay at the Roosevelt family home. And then after that, they go to live with Theodore's mother, who was a widow. And this is kind of a cool opportunity, because both Theodore and... Alice are kind of used to the social elite world. And so they enter into that world together then instead of being separate. And they're in New York and then they go to Europe for, uh, you know, half a year. And there's politics abounding. And pretty soon one thing leads to another. And Alice is pregnant in 1883. The Roosevelt's are like, woo, we're we're pregnant. We're going to have a baby. Let's, uh, Let's plan for this. Let's get it. We, we want to have a bunch of kids. Let's buy a real big house and a lot of land. And that's what they did. So keep in mind that Alice is living with her mother-in-law and Theodore is off serving in the New York State Assembly in Albany. So they're away from each other. Theodore isn't too anxious about getting back for the birth of the child because he says... The baby is going to be born on February 14th. I just know it because that is the anniversary of our engagement. Trust me. Everything's all right. But, you know, that doesn't happen in life. Babies you can't always, plan baby births. Right. It just doesn't happen. And Alice Roosevelt, the baby, and we'll talk about her at some point. We've gotten a lot of requests to talk about uh, the firstborn of Theodore. But... Alice is born. Baby Alice is born on February 12th. And Theodore receives a telegram on the morning of the 13th saying, Hey, you're a dad. Congratulations. And Theodore rushes off, but not too soon after he's rushing off to get to the house, he receives another telegram that says, Your wife is not doing too well. And by the time he arrives at the home, his wife is in a comatose state. Yeah, so, you know, Theodore holds her and makes uh, makes certain she's comfortable during that time. And she really suffers uh, for the next few hours and ends up passing away on February 14th, the engagement of their anniversary, uh, from kidney failure. And they pretty much assume that because she was pregnant, you know, a lot of things, uh, a lot of things going on when you're pregnant. And one of those things that was happening was they were not able to figure out that she was having kidney failure. And Theodore is 25 years old at this time. And of course, he's distraught and really never speaks of her again. Um, as a matter of fact, it caused some problems with his daughter in the future without with Alice, young Alice. Uh, that she wants to know more about her mother, and he doesn't want to talk about it. And understandably so to some extent. So he ends up, uh, we talked about this a little bit in his episodes, but he ends up um, taking her to her aunt uh, 
uh, and uh, Theodore's older sister because it's just he's not able to take care of her. He's got a lot of things going on, and he's also emotionally unstable at this point, and he just isn't able to take care of her. In addition to that, to you know, the fact that he's kind of having those issues, his mother also passes away that same day. Uh, so, you know, one thing on top of another, on top of another, uh, just makes for a bad situation overall for Theodore. And young Alice is not around for a few years with him. Yeah, if you read in, uh, or if you've probably seen in your Facebook feed, I know I've seen it a lot, especially on Valentine's Day, we're all trying to be positive and celebrating. And then for history buffs, we get the, you know, tweets and the Facebook messages where they show the journal entry where there's just an X on February 14th on that day where um, there's an X and it says the light has gone out of my life. Pretty sad. Yeah. But... All is not lost, because eventually Theodore will meet Edith. And I guess we'll go back to the beginning of Edith's life. She was born in Norwich, Connecticut, and her father was a merchant. And uh, he also served as a Union general in the Civil War. And so she was known as Edie growing up, you know, little Edie. And they grew up in uh, Union Square in New York City. And... Right next door lives Theodore Roosevelt, and Edith is actually best friends with his younger sister. And so they, of course, all are going to school together and uh, going to school together at, of course, uh, the family home, privately schooled. And then Edith later goes to Miss Comstock's finishing school. We talked about what a finishing school was a little while back, but in case you didn't listen or you've forgotten... uh, Basically, it's to teach young ladies how to enter into polite society. Yeah. So rumor has it that it's possible that Edith or Edie and Theodore had some sort of teenage romance. But, you know, we don't know about that for sure. But it would make for a good movie. It it would. Dramatic pause. (laughs) anyway uh theodore goes off to harvard and that's when theodore meets alice and so edith attends the wedding i'm sure she's really happy she's not thinking anything of it but when alice lee roosevelt dies in 1884 let's face it theodore's an eligible guy again right and the two uh, rekindle their relationship and in December of 1886, Theodore and Edith Roosevelt marry. They go on to live in Sagamore Hill, uh, which is on Long Island, if you didn't know that. They raise Alice, and they have their own children, uh, Theodore, Kermit, Ethel, Archibald, and Quentin. And in 1888, Theodore is appointed to the United States Civil Service Commission, and he's serving uh, doing that for, well, the better part of a decade. And Edith is like, you know what? I'm all for this. I kind of, kind of like the idea of you being in public life and he's rising through the ranks. They move to New York city when Theodore becomes the New York city police commissioner. 
and he goes on to serve as the Assistant Secretary of the Navy. You all know this, right? And even in 1898, she goes down to Tampa, Florida to see Theodore off as he goes to fight in the Spanish-American War. When he gets back from Cuba, she's like, hey, I'm not going to worry about this quarantine going on (laughs) with him. Uh, She meets him, and she assists veterans at the hospital and goes on and assists Theodore uh, with mail and some of the administrative tasks that went into his campaign uh, to be the governor of New York. So while she's the first lady of New York, she modernizes the mansion for the governor there, or, you know, the governor is her husband, and, uh, you know, joins a bunch of local women's clubs and, of course, continues to help out with her husband's work and correspondence and things like that. She also started a tradition that would go on to be a tradition that occurs in the White House, where she simply holds a bouquet of flowers in each hand, which basically allows you to then not have your hands free to have to shake other people's hands because sometimes you just don't want to touch other people's hands or you don't know they've been, you got germs, stuff like that. So she would just bow her head politely in greeting and and avoided that <laughs> that piece of the puzzle. That's a really good uh, tip. You should teach your uh, administrative uh, organization that you have with your mayor, you know, uh-huh. since you are the mayor. Do, does your wife call you? Does Emily call you mayor? She call No. No, she doesn't. She still calls me whatever she feels like. <laughs> oh, I didn't know because now that I call you mayor, even though you're not my mayor, uh, I think it's pretty cool. That's true. Well, like you would call you would call the president of another country still. You'd call him Mr. President. So, I mean, I think it's only appropriate that you call me Mr. Mayor. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Mr. Mayor. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, after President McKinley is assassinated... Theodore assumes the presidency, and Edith becomes first lady of the United States. And during this kind of weird time where everybody's kind of mourning the death of President McKinley, there's not really a lot to do as far as entertaining goes. So, you know, that's the first lady's kind of, at this point in history, kind of their main job is entertaining. And so instead, Edith is like, how the heck am I going to fit all these kids into the White House? wait, why do we have a housekeeper? I can do that by myself. And so she gets rid of the housekeeper, uh, starts doing some of that stuff by herself, and then also at some point realizes, oh man, there's a lot going on here. I need a social secretary. And so she's actually the first first lady to hire a social secretary uh, for the first lady. And of course that staff has grown as the years have gone by and the responsibilities of the first lady have grown. But Uh, the inception of it is right here with Edith. Yeah, and she meets with Theodore every day at 9 a.m. I'm sorry, rather, 8 a.m. I guess it'd be 9 a.m., like Atlantic time. Or (laughs) maybe they didn't do that back then. But they're meeting for at least an hour a day in the morning, and she's clipping newspapers and passing them on to her husband. She's exerting a lot of influence to her husband because back then agenda setting, you know, the whole thing where newspapers determine what you're going to think about. Well, Edith is determining (laughs) to a large extent of what her husband is seeing. It's almost like she's a kind of a censor and she is showing 
Theodore, hey, look at this story. Look at that story. Years later, as she's reflecting on her time as First Lady, yeah, she kind of admits to the fact that certain issues that she saw as being important, that's what she showed her husband. So another thing she did was help renovate the White House. And so in 1902, she hires a firm to come in to actually separate out the area that was the living quarters from the offices and the White House. And of course, you know, gonna enlarge the public rooms, gonna make sure the landscaping all looks nice. We're gonna redecorate. We're gonna do all sorts of stuff. And Congress actually approves about half a million dollars, a little over that, for this renovation to take place. Well, the West Wing was added, and that housed the offices. And then the East Wing was there to house the family of the president and their guests. And so, you know, at this time, we also have plumbing and lighting and heating and all that kind of stuff upgraded. And Edith is like, you know what? I'm going to put my office right next door to Theodore's so that I can go in and tell him about all the stuff I've been reading and, you know, give him the information that he needs. She takes a really, well, a view I like for myself, historical view of the White House and makes sure that certain rooms are set up in a way that was historically accurate. So, you know, having period antiques and stuff like that. And of course, a lot of those things would have been lost to history had she not done that. And, you know, even the, some of the furniture that's still in the White House currently, especially in the Lincoln bedroom, uh, was only retained there because Edith made it happen. Yeah, even the White House China collection uh, that's on exhibit from way, way back in the past. She's responsible for that, and that china is on display to this very day. So she's responsible for that. And then, in addition, I believe she's largely responsible for us calling it the White House. Although people were calling it the White House, the official name was Executive Mansion, but Edith made sure that, well... Nothing's out there that says this was Edith's decree, but let's face it, it it was. Yeah. It became known as the White House. All the while in her role as First Lady and taking care of all these renovations and making sure everything shined from a historic perspective, she's actively engaged with her family. And both Theodore and Edith are family people. They recognize the fact that uh, family comes first, and so they made sure that their children's education uh, was spoken about with their um, uh, the children's teacher. Uh, they longed to have many, many children uh, beyond their five that they did have. Uh, she does suffer two miscarriages uh, as first lady. Uh, interestingly enough, and we've mentioned this earlier in the podcast about Alice, Edith's stepdaughter, there was a little bit of a, a tense relationship there, but I think you could probably safely say that any relationship with Alice Roosevelt was probably met with a little bit of tension. Ben, I think we need to talk about her in a whole other episode. I think the people are correct. We just need to do an episode about her later yeah. on. But Alice uh, 
in retrospect years later, uh, speaks of her uh, deep respect for Edith and how she um, was indeed her mother and how um, she knew how to really carry about the tasks that were uh, thrust upon her as first lady and as a mother. So during Edith's, the end of her life, uh, she traveled around a lot. Uh, she went to Europe and Asia and Africa and South America. Uh, we talked about how whenever they uh, left the White House, Theodore goes on safari. And he takes Kermit along with him. And Edith takes Ethel, Archie, and Quentin on a tour of Europe. And so pretty much pretty quickly after... Uh, they leave the White House. There's a First Lady collection created for the Smithsonian. And Edith was like, yeah, I'll help, but I don't know what I have to give you because, like, if there were dresses that I had that were, you know, maybe a little worn, I would just cut them up for material and make other <laughs> stuff out of them. Uh, they were like, okay, well, okay, that's fine. Normally we understand. How about that gown you wore to the inauguration? And she's like, um... Nope, don't have that either. <laughs> so, uh, of course, later they found the, the remaining bottom half and were able to piece together some stuff. But uh, a few years later, we talked about how Teddy, oh, sorry, Theodore, uh, was going to be running again in the third party uh, race for the president in 1912. And Edith was like, no, please stop. Don't do this. But then once he actually gets going, she, of course, supports him as uh, any good partner would do. After 1912, um, the Roosevelts continue to be pretty active in the social scene. They contribute uh, to the home front activities during World War I. She encourages Republican women to vote after the 19th Amendment passes. And then much later, after Theodore is uh, long passed away, she campaigns for Herbert Hoover People out there thought that Franklin Roosevelt was her son. She's like, no way. <laughs> I'm not going to vote for him. <laughs> and I don't like his wife. I haven't liked her since she was a kid. That's right. Edith did not like Eleanor Roosevelt. What an interesting trifecta of relationships there. Edith, Alice, and Eleanor. Oh, my goodness. Definitely. Awkward. Thanksgiving, that's all I can say. But uh, she actively uh, campaigns for Republican candidates for the rest of her life. Before she dies, Edith destroys almost all of her letters to Theodore. She was a prolific letter writer, and a lot of her letters do survive. Uh, but yeah, some of those personal things she just did not want posterity to know. Definitely. And so Edith passes away in 1948. She is 87 years old. And of course, they bury her next to her husband in Oyster Bay at Young's Memorial Cemetery. What a life. I mean, kind of crazy to not only the fact that uh, she was Theodore's second wife, but also that she had to you know, help take care of young Alice. And then she becomes the first lady. And yeah, just Really interesting lady, for sure. Yeah, speaking of interesting, there's still more interesting things to talk about from this era. Uh, it's going to be 
a continuation of Republican politics in the next episode when we talk about Charles Fairbanks, the vice president during all of this. You don't hear a lot about him, but he was highly influential, and you're going to realize just how influential he was. How do you like that for a cliffhanger? Teaser. Hey, uh, if you want to help us out and you really like the episodes, or even if you just kind of mildly like the episodes, but you still want to help us out, head over to iTunes and leave us a nice little review. doesn't have to be long, doesn't have to be profound, just needs to be a good score, hopefully, and also have a little bit of information about why you like the show, maybe why it's informative, you know, a sentence or two, nothing big. That really helps us out in the rankings, and it also helps us to be able to show our moms and make them proud of us. Yeah, and speaking of needing emotional support, you can always feel free to interact with us in a positive way on Facebook, Facebook, (laughs) (laughs) on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, because believe it or not, we're there. Thanks, everyone, so much for listening. We will talk to you in the next episode. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.